Welcome to the G2 on 5G. It's the inside information on everything 5G related from end devices, infrastructure, carrier services, and compelling use cases. It's brought to you by More Insights and Strategy. I'm Will Townsend, Senior Analyst for Networking Infrastructure and Carrier Services. I'm based in Austin, Texas. And with me on the Zoom line is Anshul Sag in beautiful San Diego. With that, let's get started. I'm gonna launch into my first topic for this week. And it's around an announcement that appeared in an RCR wireless uh, story around China setting new regulations for the procurement of technology equipment. In my mind, this is uh, the other shoe dropping with respect to some of the things that we've seen the U.S. announce with respect to uh, the Team Telecom initiative uh, that was announced uh, via presidential order on, uh, on April 4th and also an ongoing discussion around the possibility of requiring um, fabrication um, manufacturers of semiconductors to actually uh, be issued license if they're supplying any semiconductors to China. So I really sort of view this, even though I think the Chinese government is saying that it's not in response to that, but I kind of view this as the other shoe dropping. Anshul, any, any comment there, any perspective? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of what's been happening when it comes to the Chinese government and the U.S. government around 5G and telecom has been a lot of tit for tat. Um, but, uh, you know, the funny part is, is that if you really look at the, the, the long term view of how these things have been going on, this kind of stuff has been going on for years. I mean, the Chinese government at one point um, was trying to deploy a, a strategy that required Chinese companies or companies wanting to work in China to submit their source code to the Chinese government, mm -hmm. um, which is insane. Um, they kind of backed off on that, but not entirely. And basically like they just, there, there are so many fundamental incompatibilities with a lot of these companies and governments that um, I only see the rifts widening. Mm -hmm. And the yeah, I, new yeah, regulations are only a continuation of that. No, I agree. Yeah, I agree. I think it's just another salvo in the uh, the ongoing uh, trade uh, discussions between both the U.S. and China. Uh, with respect to end devices, let's shift a little bit. Um, I know you cover Apple pretty closely, mm -hmm. and they've been sort of late to the party with a 5G-enabled phone. I, I think you've got some some news to share there and some perspective. Yeah, well, they did launch a new phone um, last week, which was the iPhone SE. Mm -hmm. um, that was kind of a low-cost phone, but or well, and that was a 4G phone. But what we're really interested in is the first 5G iPhone, mm -hmm. which was supposed to be this fall, um, around the September timeframe. Um, but now there's rumors that the new 5G iPhone might be pushed back by a month, which mm -hmm. makes total sense because if you look at the way Apple uh, scales up their manufacturing of their new iPhones, um, they start scaling and, and doing the proofing of the volume manufacturing now. Mm -hmm. um, and if the Chinese factories or the Japanese factories or the Korean factories where they get components from or, or build certain parts of the iPhone at um, are not operational or people from the U.S. like Apple engineers can't fly there, then mm -hmm. there's possibility that there's going to be delays. Um, this is actually something I discussed with other people recently. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are kind of in consensus that uh, there's a very high likelihood that the way Apple's business works and the way their supply chain, you know, operates, there's might be a way they can make it work, but it's going to be very difficult. And it sounds like the rumors about a month delay are starting to circulate. So uh, we may get a, a, you know, 
the new iPhone in November instead of October or mid-October instead of mid-September. Interesting. So but yeah, so it'll, it it'll like, squeeze yeah. their fourth quarter, which is, I think, the real big, big issue. Yeah, no, I hear you. And so you don't think this is this is tied to like their modem development effort, right? Because, you know, there was the... the oh, no, the, that's that's so far down the road yeah. that um, they're, they're still going to use a Qualcomm modem now. Yeah. I believe they have a five-year agreement with a seven-year mm-hmm. license agreement. Um, so they've given themselves the appropriate amount of time with some wiggle room to develop their own 5G modems um, so that they can cut Qualcomm out. I mean, ultimately their business, their goal is to cut everybody out because they want to have their own scale. And honestly, I don't think it's a bad thing for Apple consumers because, you know, you'll have a 5G modem in your iPad, you'll have a 5G modem in your iMac, in your MacBook, in everything that Apple makes will have a modem unless, you know, it's a, you know, Mac Pro. Um, Right. So I think it makes sense long term, but I don't think that's really a factor here. It's okay. mostly just that, you know, they're building their first 5G phone and they might be doing millimeter wave. Nobody's entirely sure yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they are doing millimeter wave, it's like, you know, an additional thing that they've never done before. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, millimeter wave is quite challenging. It'll be interesting to see what happens. So thanks for, for sharing that perspective. Let's shift a little bit. My second topic this week is talking about Nokia. They've been in the news quite a bit. Um, you know, initially there, you know, a few months ago, there were, there were discussions around there looking to sell different parts of their business that maybe were underperforming. Um, last week we heard, um, rumors around a, um, potential hostile takeover. None of that has really sort of come to light, but it was interesting this week, the company announced a a pretty big 5G win with Bharati, if I'm pronouncing that right, Airtel, and they're an operator in India. Obviously India is a, is a growing market. I think it's the second uh, fastest growing economy in the world compared to China. And this was a $1 billion deal. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it still seems like there's confidence, you know, with respect to operators around the globe in Nokia. I think they've registered, you know, 40 to 45, you know, 5G wins around the world. And, you know, in their, in their private networking business unit, Nokia Enterprise continues to register pretty decent performance. I read today a 19% uh, you know, increase in bookings there. So, mm-hmm. but you know, from your perspective, um, Angel, did, does this dig Nokia out of their financial hole? I'm not entirely sure. Um, the reason why is because you know, this isn't a billion dollars in one year, this is a multi-year deal. Yeah. Um, I, I think what Nokia needs to do is continue being successful in the areas where they've done well um, and address the concerns of where they haven't particularly done well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, them opening up their platform for more open um, standards, I think is mm-hmm. something that has, you know, benefited them. Sure. Um, and I think they're kind of, in, you know, because they're not necessarily um, the largest anymore, uh, they're, they're definitely having to be more agile and aggressive with what they do. Yeah. Um, and I think for a while they just weren't and it, and it, you know, their competitors took advantage of that. Yeah. Um, but I think, I think it's 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 very promising, and um, I think we should definitely watch to see how things progress, uh, you know, over the course of the next year or two. Because you know the five G race has just begun. It, you know, some people are already calling themselves the winners, but uh, I don't think you will know who won the five G race for probably five years or more. Yeah, no, I no, I agree. And you know, another thing to note too. 
um, their CEO, you know, Surrey is stepping down and they'll have a new executive uh, in place. I believe it's uh, in the fall. And so I think this provides them some nice headwind as they, as they move into that management tradition, you know, that transition. And I think um, that's always a good thing. I think new blood is a good thing, especially at the very top. So it'll be interesting to, to kind of keep tabs on them. Let's shift a little bit and talk about um, um, kind of the U.S. And there's been a lot of discussion around, you know, how do we get 5G out to rural? I read recently where, um, you know, uh, several Chinese operators with Huawei, they, they put a 5G base station on Mount Everest. It's incredible. Talk, talk about right. rural, right? So yeah. I know you've got some insight into uh, this, this 5G rural fund uh, that's been discussed. So why don't you, uh, why don't you take us through that? Yeah, so it's an it's a new fund that's specifically targeted towards bringing 5G to rural areas. Um, I have some friends who live in rural areas, and they struggle to get speeds anywhere near what we're experiencing in the cities. Mm -hmm. um, that's with 4G. Um, so the gap with 5G will only widen, and um, there's a lot of people that don't fit into, you know, the primary plans of a lot of operators. So the FCC has established a $9 billion fund mm -hmm. um, to help basically support the deployment of rural networks, um, have 5G access and improve internet speeds, coverage, et cetera. Um, but the problem is, is that uh, most carriers, if you look at their promises to their customers, a lot of them are, you know, they're in the 90s. No one's guaranteeing particularly um, you know, 100% coverage of the country because it's really difficult to cover some places and expensive and there's yeah, very little yeah. ROI. Yeah, so the economics of it don't work. And because of that, the, you know, FCC has to go in and, you know, establish this fund. But there's a lot of people who have a lot of experience in, you know, rural broadband and mm -hmm. cellular coverage that aren't particularly fond of this um, fund's um, proposed, you know, rules. Um, mm -hmm. They think that, you know, there need to be more um, strict requirements on, you know, first of all, you know, the carriers are, are, you know, giving these maps out and saying they've got coverage in certain areas and then they don't. So one of the fundamental problems with, you know, even establishing this fund and determining where coverage is needed and funding mm -hmm. supplied is that the base level coverage is not what, what carriers are claiming it is. Right. Um, so there's, there's, that's, I think, the first problem. Um, and yeah, I think there's, there's definitely some potential technologies out there. Like SCS networks has a satellite 5g deployment in a box, basically that they've mm -hmm. shown at last MWC. Cause there is no MWC 2020. Right. And, uh, they basically use it as kind of a edge compute and edge cell network that complements an already existing one, but gives it more bandwidth. And um, allows people to pull data more quickly as opposed to having to pull it from a, a cloud server 500 miles away. Yeah, yeah. So the latency, right? It, it, it exactly. reduces the distance. It's low orbit. It's, an, it's a low orbit satellite network. Yeah. It's not a you know the traditional terrestrial that's much much further in the sky, and the latency would just it, it would kill it. Yeah. You know, the so distance. the interesting thing is that I think there's it's good that there's a rural fund and that it's happening, um, but mm -hmm. I think a lot of people have to reconsider. What, how we even start distributing it because they say it's gonna the phase one is eight billion dollars yeah over the course of 10 years and then there's another phase after that but i'm not sure that will be enough money or quickly enough right and do you do you think u.s cellular because the, their footprint i mean they're 
they're they're considered you know the the tier you know two behind you know now what, what you know what represents you know the big three and the new mm-hmm. T-Mobile, Verizon, and AT and T. Do you feel like U.S. Cellular has the most benefit from this uh, this new uh, rural fund? Um, not particularly, just because I mean they could if they wanted to, if they had the resources to really do it. Um, I have a feeling that the big one that will actually utilize this that most will probably be T-Mobile. Okay. Um, because they have the spectrum and they have the right frequencies to do it. Um, yeah. Because you could put, you know, a, a decent amount of 2.5 gigahertz in the small town center and 600 megahertz to cover the most of the town. And sure. then millimeter wave where you have very small spots of, of high density people. Because even small towns have places where everybody congregates. Right. So um, yeah. I think, I think, Right now, if you look at who's in the position to do this the best, yeah. um, it would be either AT&T or T-Mobile. Yeah, I like T-Mobile's footprint. We've talked about that before. You know, they're covering the low, mid, and, and high band. So great stuff, man. Well, let's shift to my third, third and final topic for the week. You touched on, you know, kind of openness. And, you know, Dish Networks, you know, they're, they're one of the benefactors of the new T-Mobile. Uh, part of that deal was, you know, divesting some spectrum holdings, giving them access to retail locations, helping them get their network off the ground. I wasn't surprised to see the news this week that they're taking a, a, an open RAN approach to building out the radio access network. Mm-hmm. Um, when you look at, um, you know, um, other operators like uh, Reliance uh, uh, Geo and, you um, you know, they're, they're using, they're using these technologies, not only you need to be, you know, very agile, but also, you know, be very, very cost eruptive. And, and so uh, Dish announced this week that uh, they're partnering with Mavenir um, with respect to deploying the Mavenir Open RAN um, solution. And in a nutshell, it's, it's taking software, you know, you know, network function and being able to deploy that on standard commercial servers. And that's certainly um, very CapEx uh, disruptive compared to the traditional purpose-built infrastructure uh, that you see offered, you know, by the traditional providers like Samsung Networks, um, Nokia, and and Ericsson. So I I think this is a great move. I'm not surprised that they're going to use OpenRAN as well. You know, they they should should probably, you know, they'll be investigating virtualized core and, and that sort of thing. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, there's a, there's a timeline, right. That, you know, dish has to get this stuff deployed right. where they pay a huge penalty the, to the FCC and in, in the neighborhood of billions of dollars. So any, 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 you know, per, any additional perspective on, on that announcement from your perspective? Um, I think it's, it shows that dish is, you know, moving forward with their network and that they're not going to do what they've done in the past and kind of just sit on the spectrum and act like no one's going to hold them accountable to it. Yeah. Um, it sounds like they actually are going to do it, um, which I think is important because there need to be more operators. And if this team, new T-Mobile merger with Sprint is really going to be considered something that's legit, this needs to happen as well. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think it would be great to see them do something, you know, low cost um, that's really competitive that gives people more choice. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, going with a open RAN approach, um, is probably the best way for them to accomplish that by, you know, reducing costs and having flexibility. Yeah, yeah. And I think Rakuten has proven that as well, right? They, they seem to be sort of the poster child for using, you know, disaggregation and, you know, virtualization and that sort of thing. So th- there's a, 
you know, there's a, there, there's a prior, you know, sort of proof point there um, that points to, um, you know, the power of them doing this. So awesome. So let, let's wrap up. I know your third topic, you want to talk a little bit about Qualcomm sure. and, you know, what they're doing with respect to driving, you know, their overall 5G ecosystem and strategy. Yeah. I mean, it's more almost a commentary on the entire 5G industry mm -hmm. um, because it, the CEO was kind of like a, did an interview at a, um, you know, with a different uh, group, they were doing like a uh, panel. And um, basically, if you look at 5G is going to impact the world. Mm -hmm. um, he basically said, you know, without a 5G strategy, you're going to get left behind. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was really interesting because um, I think a lot of people are forgetting that um, regardless of the economic conditions that we're in today, the 5G um, momentum has begun and mm -hmm. it's like a train and you can't stop it. Yeah. So you better plan for it rather than get hit by it. Um, because like <laughs> if you're not, if you're not planning for 5G, your competitors are, right. and they're going to be ready or they're already preparing. And um, because 5G covers virtually almost every industry, you know, there's going to be a different time frame for each industry because, like, right now it's still kind of very mobile focused. Right. Um, but, you know, we're starting to work into private networks and stuff. Yeah. And um, I think that over time, if you're not deploying 5G in one way or another, or at least considering how it affects your business, um, you're going to get left behind and your competitors are going to eat your, your lunch or drink your milkshake. I, I agree. You know, the, the use cases are compelling. You touched on private networking. Um, factory automation. I mean, Wi-Fi will still play a part, but based on propagation, you know, um, it's security, secure. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and even other use cases like transportation and logistics, just purely the, the, the incredibly low, you know, latency capabilities of 5G and that, that faster throughput over LTE is, is it's really going to be transformative. And I mean, the U S has been behind this, you know, from the get go, you know, they, you know, the president, you know, the, the current administration views 5G as a linchpin that right. can really drive positive GDP growth. And so I, I, yeah. I've, I totally agree. I've written a paper about it. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, we should, uh, we should share that with our viewers if they, uh, if, they, if, they, if they hit us up here. Well, that's all the time we have this week. Um, Angela, why don't you take us home? All right. So we hope our viewers and listeners found this week's topics interesting. Um, if anyone out there would like to provide insight on a specific 5G topic for a future podcast, um, please reach out to us on social media. Um, Will is at Will Town Tech, and I'm at Anshul Sog on Twitter. Um, uh, please have a great weekend and tune in to us next time.